After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona. Aloha. Welcome to our show. Thank you. So could you tell us about your job? What do you do on a daily basis? It's an exciting job because it's never repetitive. You know, you do different things every day. But for the most part, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, events where we get invited to luncheons, uh, dinners, speak at uh, various organizations, profits, nonprofits, rotary clubs, chamber, uh, businesses, uh, you name it, schools. For me, uh, I, I like to go to, to schools a lot. So I've uh, in the past three years, I've been to many, many schools uh, because I... I feel that that's uh, where I need to be, and I feel that's where we need to get the message out to our, to our young people. And so it, whether it's elementary school or high school, public or private, it doesn't matter. Uh, I do a lot of schools, and we talk about uh, different things. But mainly I'm trying to get my message out on drugs and alcohol. So I will be addressing uh, most of the students on that. We also do a lot of reading to, to, to our students. So we, uh, we go out, the governor and I and, uh, and my wife, and we'll read to uh, first graders, second graders, uh, and we'll just we'll have fun with that. And why lieutenant governor? Oh, uh, why did I run for lieutenant governor? Is that well, why did you choose that position? You know, for me, I call it a divine intervention. I had no intention of uh, getting into politics or running for office. I was a uh, state judge for about eight years. Left the bench in 1999. Actually, the end of 1998, the beginning of 1999. And so I went out into private practice and was uh, trying to find my little niche. You know. Uh, doing different things, and it was fun. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, people are interested, and in uh, both parties actually approached me. First it was the Democrats, and then uh, a couple of weeks later it was the Republicans. And to both of them, I said, you know, don't call me, I'll call you. And so it was one of those things where I guess the Republicans were more persistent, and I, but I kept saying no. And it was over a year. In fact, a couple of years they kept calling and asking, you know, how about the uh, House of Representatives? How about council member? Whatever it may be. And I kept saying no. And then uh, and then they said, well, how about lieutenant governor? And I, and I said no again. And I went home and I told my wife and, and she uh, she didn't laugh. And that was the thing that got, got me. You know, I said, wait, wait, wait. She's not laughing. She says, you know what? Maybe we should pray on this. And so we did. And we prayed for a long time. And the uh, you know the response was basically this is something you need to do so so there I was I, I ran for office uh, we made our announcement in March of 2002 and we got elected to the primary we won the uh, Republican primary in September teamed up with uh, Governor Lingo and we won in November and here we are three years later well actually almost four years later and so this is the first time you've been in politics absolutely first time. Was it hard for you to get used to it? Or? Oh, absolutely. You know, you got to think of it this way: as a judge, you're independent. You don't have a constituency. You don't. Re- you don't. You're, you're not responsible to anybody but the law, and that's that's your boss, the law and precedent. And 
you, and like I said, you're, you're independent, and for a lot of ways, you're isolated because uh, you don't go out and get a, a focus group and ask them, hey, what do you think about this uh, sentence? Should I go this way or that way? So it was, yeah, it was a great, it was a very hard transition, not uh, not only from that perspective, but also now with my family, because now my family was put out in the in the limelight, and they had to make adjustments. So it's been a difficult, but yet enjoyable uh, transition to public life. Are you able to share with us some of the challenges that you did go through transition, and then what you learned from that? Probably the hardest, and you're going to say, I, I don't think this would be very hard, but probably the hardest transition for me was getting used to security. The night we were elected, you know, it was a late election return. I think we didn't find out till like 11 at night. And so, you know, you wind down. And so we were leaving at about 2. I believe it was 2 in the morning. Well, it was early morning. And so now I'm walking because we came in separate cars. And so my wife and the, and the kids went, went in, in the car, in their car, and I'm walking to mine. And I got these two guys following me, and I'm saying, well, what are you guys? It says, well, you know, where's your security? And I said, what do you mean security? <laughs> so uh, they said, well, we're going to, you know, we're assigned to you and we, we have to, we can drive you or we can follow you. I said, well, you follow me. And so that night, though, we had rented a hotel room because, you know, it was, we knew it was going to have a late night. So we went and the next morning woke up and, and we had two guys outside the hallway and we're like, oh, my goodness, you got to be kidding. Well, the kids kind of enjoy it, right? I mean, they go, wow, we got, you know, we got security and and uh, my wife and I was like, this is an invasion of our privacy. We can't believe this. So believe me, that was one of the toughest things. The other thing is, uh, of course, the public eye, that you're always, you're always in the public's eye. You, you know, what you do, what you say is always scrutinized, um, and you're always asked for your opinion. And so your opinion makes a difference. And it's not difficult in the sense to, to answer it, but it's difficult in the sense that it never had happened before. And so all of a sudden... What you say also will impact people. You'll leave an impression. And a lot of people look look at your, what you may think is a very trivial and, and very non-existent issue is a foremost issue in a lot of people's minds. And so what you say makes a big difference. So that was, that was probably the second biggest adjustment we had to make. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Howdy sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona. Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona has dedicated much of his life to improving Hawaii and was recognized by the St. Patrick community in 2003 as an honoree for outstanding leadership and community service. So with your security detail, have you ever had any close calls, like when nutty guy tried to attack you? Or? <laughs> Fortunately not. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you do get some people who are 
uh, a little irate over some issues uh, that maybe you have a different position on than they do. And so we've gotten some, some calls and some letters, but nothing physical at, at this point in time. So uh, I've been blessed in that way. But And I don't expect any. I, you know, people of Hawaii have been very, very good. There hasn't really been any, any event that I've attended where someone has challenged us either way, physically or verbally. Everyone's been, you know, more than hospitable and I would call a professional response. So, so far, so good. No, it's been good. It's been really good. How was the transition from being responsible to upholding the law and now being responsible for the people's wants, needs, and representing their ideas? Probably the uh, the biggest adjustment is that you have to take in all of these different points of view. Uh, you have to you have to scan it and you have to listen and you have to dissect it and you have to uh, be sensitive to to positions that you may not have even thought of as a judge because even though the law is not always black and white, at least you got you got defined parameters. Uh, you know you can only go so far with the law. Uh, very seldom can you make law, especially where I was. I was on the uh, the circuit court bench, and so it's a trial. It's it's a trial bench, so you know you're you're in a trial, uh, trial setting, and so you have very few opportunities where you're going to expand on the law or make new law. I mean that's usually reserved for the appellate courts, and and that's not what I am. So I have to follow precedent. Or in the rare instances where I did have that opportunity, uh, at least I have some time to reflect upon it, and then you know uh, do whatever research I need to do, and maybe maybe consult with some of my colleagues. But now, as lieutenant governor, you have to do that on a consistent basis, and 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 almost on every issue, you need to look at it from every different angle. And you don't really have parameters a lot of times. A lot of times, you don't have laws that set the limits for you, uh, because you're setting policy. And when you set policy, you you're always subject to being creative too. And so that's a good. I, I think that's a positive where you have that opportunity to do that. The, the thing is, though, you have to be sensitive to what everybody has to say. A lot of times you, you uh, if I mean, I should say a lot of times. What I mean is there are times when you may not, and that's when you, you'll get hurt. Because what you learn is that there are what you call the vocal minorities and the uh, the silent majority. And in many instances, you're not going to hear from the silent majority but you'll hear from the vocal minority and you have to realize that that you know there's there there are few voices but they're loud and they and they make their point and not that you ignore it but sometimes you might get persuaded just because of that just because they're vocal they're out there they're aggressive and yet the silent majority is not saying anything and sometimes you might forget about it so you got to constantly uh keep keep your mind uh in that mode or that that thought process where where are you born and raised Right here in Honolulu. Uh, I was born on June 8th, 1955. That makes me 50, soon to be 51. I went to school at uh, Marino Grade School uh, from kindergarten to 8th grade. Then I went to St. Louis. Crusaders. Yeah, I went to St. Louis from 9th grade to 12th grade. uh, Graduated in 1973. You played football? I played football and basketball at St. Louis. And then I went to the University of Pacific, which is in Stockton, California. And came back and went to, at that time, it was called the University of Hawaii School of Law. Not the William S. Richardson School of Law. That's what it is right now. And uh, graduated in 1981. And then I clerked for uh, Judge Wendell Huddy for a year. And went to the prosecutors for about three years. Uh, Corporation Counsel, which is the city attorney's office, for five years. Then I was appointed to the family court bench here in the First Circuit. And then the uh, circuit court bench. 
I tell you what's interesting is when I got appointed to Judge, uh, when I worked for Judge Huddy as a, as his law clerk, I was hired mainly because I had been doing some real, how can you put it, perfunctory estate work with, uh, I think it was Hawaiian Trust at that time. In other words, what we were doing was we were reviewing trusts and seeing whether or not they need to be redone again. So it was it was really elementary, you know, uh, type of uh, work. But that was in preparation for the bar exam. I was I was getting ready for the bar exam. So when I went and I applied for Judge Huddy, he saw that and he thought I had some background on on trusts. Well, he was about to do one of the biggest cases at that point in time regarding trusts, and it was and I don't I think you guys you guys look young, so maybe you don't remember this, but it was. Matsuo Takabuki versus Hung Wo Ching. And they were two bishop estate trustees, much like the case that you just had recently where Oswald Stender sued Lokilani Lindsay. And it was the same issues about their fiduciary duty and that um, Hung Wo Ching felt that Matsuo Takabuki had breached his duty, his fiduciary duty, to the trust, to the bishop estate trust. And, and that's how I got hired. It was for that case. And we went nine months it was a nine-month trial, a non-jury trial, so it was a bench trial in front of Judge Huddy, and we had counsel from the mainland. It was a we had over fifteen hundred exhibits, so it was a tremendous learning process for me. But when people talk about the uh, the most recent Bishop Estate case, I say, well, you know, that's kind of old hat. We already had that done uh, back in the eighties when I first started with Judge Huddy. So that's a little known fact that people don't know. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona. So, Lieutenant Governor, could you share with us some secret, maybe something that people don't necessarily know about you, something that's never been covered? What is something that is you're really passionate about in life? Well, I wouldn't tell you what was real secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see. I, you know, there's a lot of things that. Well, now that I'm, I'm, I'm the lieutenant governor. People know pretty much everything that I that I have a passion for. But of course, my biggest passion is is uh, coaching high school basketball right now. I've been doing that for well, I've been doing. If you want to look at it in phases, I when I first started coaching, I was right out of college, and I coached for about ten years, and then took a well, I thought I was done with coaching, but I guess that never leaves you. And I came back to coaching high school basketball in uh, 1999 and have been coaching since. So that's about six years, seven years now since I've been back. And um, it's just a passion that I have. Uh, it's because I love the sport. I've played it since I was a, a little boy. 
I think I first played basketball when I was in the fifth grade and have never stopped uh, loving the sport. I, I quit playing a while back. Uh, it, you know, once you lose those skills, uh, it, you just you just hang it up. But I've been involved uh, with it, either in coaching or or as a spectator with my son, watching them play, uh, or just watching it on television. I just love the game so much. So why basketball instead of football? You played both sports. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I think this is this is my opinion. Of course, we'll start a debate on this, but I really believe okay. I really believe that basketball players are the best athletes in the world. Uh, they're they're better athletes than baseball players. They're better athletes than tennis players, and they're definitely better athletes than football players. So you, you know, this is sports radio, right? Yes, we I know. Okay. <laughs> That's why I said I think I'm we'll going to play this during football season. <laughs> we'll start a debate, but no. And to me, it's just a very athletic sport, and it's an it's a fast sport. It's a you know it's a sport that's always moving. I mean, baseball you get you know you get you got in between strikes. I mean, pitches and you got innings, and in football you got huddles and tennis. Well, tennis is yeah, even tennis you got you take breaks, right? But in basketball you don't take breaks. It's up and down, you know. It's, Unless it's, you're warming the bench. Yeah, well that's true. If if you're on the bench or you know. Well, now they got so many commercials, so a lot of NBA games. Yeah, I guess they're kind of like football games, but uh, high school and college games. That's why I love I love those uh, those levels. Pros is all right, but to me, all you need to do if you're gonna watch the NBA, just tune into the last two minutes, and then you'll see who's gonna win. Everything else is is fluff. You just want to get down to the last <laughs> two minutes. So, uh, and that's the reason why I guess I, I love basketball. It's just a very athletic game. You got to be able to run. You got to be able to jump. You got to have eye hand coordination. Uh, you gotta have so many skills. You gotta handle a ball. You gotta catch a ball. You gotta pass a ball. You know, so I, I just think it's a uh, it's a lot more athletic, and so I appreciate the athletes that play basketball. And did you ever think about, um, or did you do it during college? Yeah, actually, I did, and that's one of the reasons why I went to University of Pacific. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, and those those people who are sports buffs will know this. This is their, uh, my coach was Pete Newell Jr. His dad is Pete Newell. Pete Newell was one of the first. Oh, big time coaches. Uh, in fact, I think he coached George Mikan for a while, and he was running a big man's camp here in Honolulu for a long time. Uh, it was called the Pete Noel Big Big Man Camp, and so his son coached me when I was a freshman at St. Louis, and so he moved. You were on. in the big man camp? No, 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 no. Oh. Pete, Pete Noel ran that that camp, but his son coached me when I was a freshman. I was just kind of giving you some of uh, Pete mm-hmm. Noel's credentials, his dad's. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who was who was born and raised uh, around big-time basketball. I'm talking about his son. So his son knew a little bit about basketball, and he was actually a great coach for us uh, when I was a freshman. And I really liked him. He was a tough coach, but I really liked him. And then he went away, and he ended up at the University of Pacific. So he wrote to me. He said, I can't offer you a scholarship, but, you know, I'm I'm one of the assistant coaches up here, and I would like you to walk on. So why don't you come? You know, I think you can walk on and play basketball at UOP. So I said sure, and so I went. You know, I applied and I got in, and and um, they gave me some help. I had, I actually, I did have a scholarship. I had a partial scholarship. It wasn't athletic. It was, uh, it was more uh, academic and financial. And um, I went up, and he left. Unfortunately, he left. He so I I got accepted, and then he left that summer. So never really got to play for him, but I did play uh, for about three years. I, I quit. I ended up quitting. Kind of a bad move on my part. I didn't see eye to eye with the coach at that point in time, and he was basically telling me, "Well, you know, you're just going to sit on the bench. You'll never play. You'll just you'll just be a practice player." And I didn't want any part of that, and so I, I quit. And so that was kind of a bad attitude. But anyway, <laughs> but it was fun. I met some I met some great guys up there. In fact, 
still in contact with many of them. Um, we had some real good players, and it was a great experience. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Hawaiian time, Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites, For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona. Prior to becoming Lieutenant Governor, Mr. Iona was appointed Administrative Judge of the newly created Hawaii Drug Court, which was highly praised. So, Lieutenant Governor, in all the community efforts that you're doing right now, which one is the one that you're most passionate about? Our uh, drug control plan, which we developed actually came out in print in 2005, uh, the early part of 2005. But, you know, we had a lot of preparation before that. And we, it started with uh, a summit in October. No, I take that back. I think it was June of uh, 2003, if I'm not mistaken. And we had that as well as a lot of what we called talk story events. We went around the community, and we had 13 different talk, talk story events where we uh, went to cafeteria, went to schools, and we just held uh, evening community talk star events, and that probably was really enlightening for me because people came out, and I think what happened at that point in time is, you know, I ran on the, on the fact that I wanted to deal with the drug and alcohol problem that we have in this state, and you know, ICE has been around for a long time. When I was uh, appointed to to family court in 1990, actually, it started before that. When I was about to leave the prosecutor's office, we already had word that there was going to be this drug that was coming into Hawaii. It was called Crank. Uh, it was the biker's drug, they said. It was a powdered form of methamphetamine. And they said that was going to be making its way into the state. This is in the 80s, mid-80s, early 80s. And as you know, in the 80s, it was, it was crack cocaine that was the big drug of choice back then. And I, I knew that was coming, and so I went to Corporation Council, which you deal with different issues on that side. That's the civil side, more or less. You deal with departments, you know, the city getting sued for a broken bridge or roads, road maintenance, um, police brutality, things like that. So you didn't really deal with drugs and alcohol too much in that level. But as soon as I got appointed in 1990, I'll never forget my first day on the bench. It was uh, on the what we call the special services calendar, which is the uh, – and I had the, the uh, child protective services calendar – and you get about 60 cases that you have to do uh, in three hours. 
And that's where I, my eyes just went, whoa. Um, you know, what I thought was the exception, well, it wasn't really the rule, but it wasn't the exception. And when I say what I thought, what I'm talking about is dysfunctional families. We had a lot of, lot of, and I really don't like that word dysfunctional. Let's, let's use the word challenges. There were a lot of families out there that had many challenges. But as I started to, you know, get to, to spend more time on that calendar and other calendars in family court, it was evident that uh, the, the basis for many of these problems that they had was a result of drug and or alcohol uh, abuse and addiction. So right then I knew that, you know, it wasn't about what I knew in the law books. It, it wasn't about um, what people would tell me. Uh, I was dealing with real people who had real problems that needed real solutions that the law books and, and a lot of these service providers didn't have the answers to. In fact, there are many instances in which we didn't have enough services for many of these families. And so they would languish uh, with the addiction or the abuse until they could get into treatment. So it was from that point that I said, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this. So when I went up to a circuit court, I was assigned to the criminal bench, and I was sentencing people to, to probation. I'd get them back within a couple of years, and these were people who had drug problems. I'd get them back within a couple of years. And in a couple of years, they didn't do anything. They didn't get any treatment. They didn't get any work. They didn't commit any crimes, but they basically weren't doing anything. They just keep getting high. They're still getting high, and they were still addicted, and they couldn't get off of it. So I said, there must be something different. You gotta, there's got to be a different approach to this. And that's when I got, uh, if you want to put it, when I got, I got turned on to, uh, to drug court. I saw that it was just, it was an emerging concept in the judiciary. It was happening, it actually started in Florida in 1990. And it was now in about 100 different cities across the United States. And I said, we can do this, and I think this will work. And they said, well, sure, if you want to do it, you can go ahead and do it. And what so said, is it, drug court? Drug court is really, it's like a carrot, uh, carrot and stick type of approach. And the, uh, the carrot is that people who are arrested and charged with a, with a felony, and it, it, it had to be either a drug, drug offense or something that was nonviolent and first-time offense, you'd have the opportunity to have that record clean if you went to drug court, you got into a program, and you completed the program. Within X amount of time, if you didn't, well, for my court at least, when I was when I when I when I was uh, the administrative judge, if you didn't, you go to jail, because in my mind you had the you had the, you had your chance at probation. That was your probation, and so it it worked very very well. It, it was very successful. A lot of a lot of people were skeptical about it initially, because and rightly so, the judiciary is not into treatment, you know, and and that we were basically doing treatment, so. It, it went well. In fact, today, uh, as we speak, we have drug courts in every circuit. As you know, we have different circuits. The, the, the various islands and counties are different circuits. We started only here in Honolulu, so now we have it in all circuits. In addition to that, we have juvenile drug courts, and we also have family drug courts. So we've, uh, we've expanded it tremendously. In fact, when I started, I told you there are only about 100 drug courts across the country. Right now, there's about 1,800 drug courts across the country. So the concept took off, and it, and it works. It works. So to me, you know, that's the thing that I, if you ask me what, what have I gotten involved in right now on the, uh, on the social side that really makes an impact on me, it's drug court and what, the work that I did in drug court. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.